COVID-19 reshaped South Africa's agricultural and food sectors. This week on Farmers Inside Track, we have great advice to navigate a future beyond the pandemic. Plus, we discuss the top traits of a future-focused farmer. In our farmer development segment, we chat to sheep farmer Relobogile Selete and we also get some expert advice from Mari Bronkos from Furmal Feeds. We welcome agricultural legal expert Katlejo Wenge, also known as the Legal Buramesi. She shares a few handy tips for up-and-coming farmers. This week's hashtag Soil Sister, powered by Food for Mzanzi and Koteva AgriScience, is none other than Tika Mapola. She's a force to be reckoned with and is currently completing a year-long program with the Gibbs Entrepreneurship Development Academy. On top of our reading list this week is Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones by James Clear. And our farmer tip of the week comes from livestock auctioneer Atinkosi Denga. This is Farmers Inside Track, supported by Food for Mzansi. Inspiration for your business and life. From South Africa's farmers and agripreneurs. Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 93 of Food for Mzansi's podcast called Farmers Inside Track. I am Dor Numdu, the editor for audience and engagement at Foodform Zanzi. Joining me is my talented co-host, journalist Duncan Masiwa, who is now also an ambassador for Agritourism Africa. Flying the flag for Agritourism Africa. Well done, Duncan. Thanks, Dawn. It's great to be back and to not only represent Foodform Zanzi, but to also champion the cause of agritourism in South Africa and the continent. Let's kick off today's show with that promised discussion about navigating agriculture beyond the pandemic, plus a list of traits of a future-focused farmer. Journalist Nicole Ludov chats to Dr. Nodia Malan, who is a senior lecturer in development studies at the University of Johannesburg. Stay tuned because AgriSA Executive Director Christopher der Rieder also weighs in. Nicole, over to you. Thank you so much, Dawn and Duncan. Dr. Milan, in the past you've said that a future-focused agriculturalist is someone who controls their own markets, cares about their community, and prioritizes sustainability. Could you please expand on that? I think the most important future characteristic of an agriculturalist, especially those who can address climate change, address poverty, and create a better future for us, is how they understand how the health of the ecosystem is tied up with the health of their own enterprise, is tied up with the health of their own workers, and is tied up with the health of their own society, and how all these things are interdependent. And this is how true value is created in society that, that really creates the ability of future generations to create even more value. And this is how we need to see the future of agriculture as the one sector of the economy which is very much based on the ecology, but feeds people to a great extent. And there are great trade-offs that we have already made and will be making, which feeds into the economy, which also affects all kinds of other technical things, like how we use technology and how we develop it, but also how we design our societies. So if agriculture can combine and converge all these sources of value and create great value through the combination of all these activities. 
then we will see a sustainable future emerging. And I think that is the great characteristic of any agriculturalist, is someone who can see how to combine all these very diverse things into one stream of value creation that's beneficial for, for society, the planet, the farm itself, his or her workers, and of course the people who eat the food. And I think it all starts with making the right choices, right from the bottom, right to the top, and understanding how one choice affects the other. So let's make the right choice from the beginning. Mr. van der Riede, what are your insights into the future of farming, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic? The future of agriculture, especially in terms of post-COVID-19, holds some promises due to the good weather that we've been experiencing. Also, reopening of markets all over the world and the fact that many economies have returned to greater degree of normality. We've also seen that our logistics networks are up and running and that all the issues that we have experienced in terms of shipping of goods that we export or import, that those shipping lines are in full operation. There are still minor niggles, especially when it comes to the availability of reefer containers and so forth. But to a large extent, these problems have been solved by the industries themselves. On the other hand, farmers are experiencing a rise in input cost, packaging materials, fertilizer, diesel cost. We've seen also the rise in labor cost and other costs are impacting on the profitability of the agriculture sector. And that for us is a very big worry because farming, as you know, is a cost-tight business. In other words, farmers' profit margins are very, very low. So many farmers are trapped in a what they would call a cost-squeeze situation. And that for us is something that needs to be addressed. When it comes to assistance from government side, I think we will have to engage with government to see to what extent government can assist the farming sector with tax relief measures as well as other measures just to ensure that our farmers remain profitable. Another big concern is obviously the availability of grants as well as low interest rate production loans. We've also seen that the land bank is in dire straits and the land bank will not be able or is not in a position to make funding available to the sector and especially the commercial sector is facing the brunt of all of this. And the industry has a major responsibility to come together and to find an alternative for commercial lending, as the land bank is not in a position to do so. The other big dilemma is obviously funding for the establishment of a new cohort of small-scale farmers and growing or transforming the sector so that the sector be transformed in a more inclusive sector. The agricultural master plan is also on the table. The big question is, where will we find funding for that? So all of these things need to be put on the table. The expectation is always that the commercial sector will be able to contribute towards the funding of these initiatives by government. But the commercial sector itself faces massive financial challenges. That in itself poses a severe threat to agricultural development also our ability to compete with the rest of the world and in addition our ability to ensure that farming enterprises remain profitable. If our farming enterprises go down the tube it means that all the opportunities that exist further down the value chain, the possibilities that exist to add more value 
to the primary products that we produce, those possibilities also will not come to any fruition. So it's very important that the industry, together with the government, together with other role players, will have to take a long, hard look at the profitability, first and foremost, of the sector, how sustainability over the long term can be protected and enhanced, and at the same time, how we can leverage that to grow the development sector, especially our small-scale farmers, so that our agriculture sector can become much more inclusive. But that inclusivity depends on growth in the sector. If there's no growth, then we will not be able to achieve the outcomes that government has outlined in the National Development Plan, as well as the outcomes that are currently being outlined in the Agriculture Agro-Processing Master Plan. Thanks, Nicole. And of course, it's always great having Dr. Nodia Malan on the show with us. Dr. Nodia Malan is, of course, from the University of Johannesburg. And we're also joined by Christoph van der Riede, who is AgriSA's Executive Director. But from future-focused farming to animal nutrition, Mari Bronkhorst, who's the Technical Production Manager at Furmo Feeds, chats about candy corn. And no, it's not the sweet stuff you ate as a kid. Free State farmer Relo Bochile Selete believes that candy corn is the perfect addition to sheep feed. And this week, we find out why. So today we're talking about farmer Relo Bohile Selete. So this farmer uses Furmol's candy corn and she says that it's a perfect addition for her sheep feed. Not only does she find it to be affordable, but it is also proving to be very effective. What does Mercelite specifically hold Furmol's product range in high regard? And what makes corn candy and Furmol's range so special? The Food Mall product range started out as a brilliant idea to turn sugar industry byproducts like pith and molasses into something of value. So this then grew into a company that has done a lot of research into formulating feeds scientifically for the South African environment. Furmol essentially added value to products that would have otherwise been discarded and turned them into a ruminant animal nutrition product range that gives great results while still being easy to use and practical. So corn candy is specifically as a versatile molasses-based product that can be fed as a supplement to sheep and to cattle in most of its life stages. You mentioned that corn candy is a versatile product, and I know that many of the products are super versatile. Could you maybe expand on this specific product and what you meant by that? So corn candy is an interesting and handy product to keep in your arsenal when farming with ruminant animals like sheep, goats, and cattle. Because these animals are especially in the sense that they have a rumen and that allows them to use non-protein nitrogen sources, which are more affordable and they can turn it into a high quality meat product. So corn candy takes advantage of that ability by using molasses as a palatable energy rich base and adding NPN sources into it, among other things. So this, along with a well-balanced mineral profile and added vitamins and buffers, makes corn candy a useful tool in the South African farmer's arsenal, as the product provides a good amount of protein and is highly palatable due to the molasses. It lends itself to multiple applications. In sheep, this includes flush feeding, feeding during pregnancy, early to late pregnancy, and elevating the nutritional value of low-quality forage and finishing sheep for the meat market. Now, Ms. Saletzi's focus is specifically on the poorer farming communities and suggests that the use of corn candy as an affordable feed source. How would you suggest these farmers use this product, specifically corn candy? 
I have to commend Ms. Salete for her focus on the smaller and poorer farming communities. These are usually the farmers who cannot afford the big equipment and infrastructure from the get-go. They generally do not have much startup capital, which means they will need to gradually build up their herds and lean heavily on their environment, fodder and roughage. So technology and current research are also challenges for these farmers as access to these tools are usually the problem, the limit. So luckily with corn candy, all you need is a top and a shovel to mix it well and allow the product to dry out. The product is easy to mix and use and it stores well. So it allows for batch mixing and a longer storage period. The product starts out as a liquid, but when it's mixed with lime and maize and allowed to dry, it hardens around the maize, creating an almost candy-coated look that the animals love. This dried candy-coated maize, or how they affectionately call it chocolate maize, can then be stored and used as necessary. Another nice thing about this product is that it is easy to feed and no feeding trough is needed. It can also be used with maize or with small grains, so you have a bit of variety. As it turns grain into a more balanced diet, it is very useful for farmers with limited variety of feed ingredients available. It is important, however, to provide adequate grazing and roughage when feeding any concentrate or feed additives. And this is no different with corn candy. So you also require an adaptation phase, as with all licks and concentrates, as your rumen environment needs time to slowly get used to the new feed. Luckily, when your adaptation period is passed, you can feed the same product as a feed additive in different intake levels throughout the different stages of your animal's life. So this is quite nice because it allows difficulties with adaptation to become less and less prominent as your animals get older. Your corn candy is a protein and mineral supplement and you can feed it to your ewes and for flush feeding before mating as well as during late pregnancy and lactation to avoid complications like pregnancy toxemia, or in Afrikaans they call it domsikta. The same product can be fed to breeding rams to keep their energy up for the breeding season. Then finally, as Ms. Saletsa mentioned, it can be fed to sheep in order to fatten and finish them for resale or slaughter. Foodmall has an excellent guide on the feeding rates for the different phases of life available. Or you could consult one of our technical sales staff. They're quite knowledgeable. Well, that's a lot of information in one bite, but maybe you can just close off the discussion by telling us one core message that you'd like to leave us with today. And it's also interesting. I was wondering whether corn candy is actually something to do with the fact that it looks like candy and you've just explained that to us as well. So the core message I would like, I guess, would be to do as much research as you can and to ask advice, especially if you are a startup, you're new to the agricultural community. It is important to feed some form of concentrate or lick to your animals if you want to help them reach their genetic potential. So find one that works for your management style and budget. That's very important. You just need to find a product that you can use safely and effectively in your situation. And a lot of people are knowledgeable on this and they are more than happy to help with a bit of advice here you know, and there. It's quite easy to get the information if you just shop around a bit. Thanks again for joining us, Marie Bronkhorst, Technical Production Manager at Furmol Feeds. Now, four years ago, Katlejo Nguene started a legal consultation firm specializing in agriculture. And this week, she shares a few legal tips for new farmers. Katlejo, maybe you can start by highlighting three key legal issues new farmers face when running their farming operations. The first issue would probably be land 
So a lot of farmers don't have access to land or struggle to find land in order to farm. So that would be one of the first issues that they tend to have. Second issue would be water. So even if they find land, sometimes they struggle to find land that has access to water, which is a big issue for different reasons. One of them being that South Africa is water scarce, so there isn't that much water to go around in terms of agriculture, industry, and also obviously providing for South African citizens. The third issue that farmers face is the issue on compliance. So a lot of them are very unaware that a lot of our agricultural industry in South Africa is regulated. And there's a lot of, not necessarily loopholes, but there is some bureaucracy to doing certain things, no matter what it is that you're planting or whatever it is that you're breeding. There's rules and laws that regulate that. And a lot of them don't know it. And they think it's just as simple as starting their operations and they ignore the compliance part of of farming so i'd say those are the three key legal issues for new farmers and in your podcast the legal border macy focused on the sector's legal aspects you talk about water rights and the agri sector could you maybe tell us what's the current status on this and could you explain how the new act affects farmers in mzanzi so in terms of water rights the current status in our country is that Water is regulated by law, which means that there's an act called the National Water Act 36 of 1998. And basically this act seeks to protect, conserve all water reserves in South Africa. And that means that it's essentially that no one owns the water. The custodian of the water is the government. And that means that anybody that wants to use water, whether it's farmers or miners, ESCOM, Whoever wants to use water on a big scale for a big operation, as these type of industries do, has to apply for water use licenses with the government and not just use water as they please. The implication of this is that obviously that it's regulated. You have to plan ahead in terms of what it is you're using the water for, because like I said, the act is there to conserve water. So you can't waste water and you can't have an overabundance of use and especially unnecessary use. So that's the current status on this. Could you maybe explain what's the status on this and could you explain how this affects new farmers in Mzanzi? They have to have done their homework about the type of farming they're going to do, how much water it uses. Different products or different crop, for example, use different amounts of water. So one has to be very aware of the, the need, first of all, of what they're growing and also how much water it would use. And if they are in a position and in an area where they will get the amount of water from the government that they require. So it's it's a lot about preparation and knowing the industry that you're in and what you're trying to do as a farmer. And then to wrap up, what is your advice to new farmers, especially when it comes to leasing or buying land to start their agribusiness? When it comes to leasing or buying land to start their agribusiness, like I said, it's one of the challenges in the country acquiring land. You know, obviously, if you have funding and you can buy land, that's great. But I, I've seen that a lot of sort of our younger farmers are leasing land. So that goes down to contractual law that what are the agreements that they're making with the people they're leasing land from? Do the agreements make sense? Are they fair? And does that land come with water? Does it have access to 
a water source and and all of that so i think my biggest advice when it comes to leasing or buying land would be really really first of all do your tests on the land that you are interested in make sure that your contracts if you're leasing make sense and if you're buying land make sure that you're buying land in an area where you have access to water in order to be productive Thanks again for joining us, Katlejo Ngwene, owner and founder of Katika Consulting. Thanks, Don, and great having you, Katlejo Ngwene, the owner and founder of Katika Consulting. Listen, our book of the week is coming up shortly, but we first meet our hashtag soil sister, and she's none other than Tika Mapola. Now, besides being a farming force to be reckoned with, she is currently also on a year-long blended development program at the Gibbs Business School. Tika, what are some of the toughest lessons you've learned along the way? I'm going to tell you about the latest one. So I moved to Lawson, that was last year, May. That's when I got the farm in Lawson. So when I got here, I lost over a hundred of my ship. It was a new area and apparently I was told that it was the leopard. But somehow the leopard didn't have four legs but had two legs. So when I got there, I was also doing picks, and now I don't have a single pick left because we got African science fever, whereby it affected all the picks. Most of them died, and then the rest that had remained, we had to kill them. Any advice to other women entering the farming arena? Let's keep working. Focus and work. There's nothing more to be done. If you don't work, you will not have the money, you will not have good animals, you will not, you know, this is will not, will not, will not. If you get your hands dirty, if you're there in the sun, if you're working, if you have to rest, you'll come. So we work with both, and then the rest will follow. And love what you're doing. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food for Mzanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story. Be sure to read Tika Mapula's inspirational article on Food for Mzanzi's website. She's definitely a force to be reckoned with. Now, we are drawing closer to the end of another great episode. But first, our book of the week. Our farmer selected James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and bad ones. And he explains how to get 1% better every day. I think this is a must read for me as well. One way to think about it is just kind of basic math. Like if you just look at the numbers, if you were able to improve by 1% each day for an entire year, and those gains compound, you would end up 37 times better at the end of the year. And if you were to get 1% worse, you would whittle yourself almost all the way down to zero. What's interesting here is that everybody wants a transformation, right? Everybody wants a radical improvement, want rapid success, but we fail to realize that small habits and little choices are transforming us every day already. For the rest of this talk, there are four stages of habit formation. I'm gonna take you through each of those four. So the four stages are noticing, wanting, doing, and liking. Noticing, wanting, doing and liking. One of my favorite things about noticing, one of my favorite strategies for discussing it, it's called implementation intentions. Many people think that they lack motivation when what they really lack is clarity. 
They think that they need to get more motivated, that they need willpower in order to execute on a habit. If I just felt like writing, if I just felt like meditating, if I felt like working out, then I would do it. But in fact, they don't have a plan for it. And so they wake up each day thinking, I wonder if I'll feel motivated to write today. I wonder if I'll feel motivated to work out today. But instead, you can take the decision-making out of it by explicitly stating when, where, and how you want to implement the habit. It sounds easy to say, let's just start a plan. Let's you know, write down exactly what you should do, and then maybe you'll follow through on it. But of course, we all know that there are challenges that arise. It's not quite that easy. So here's a little strategy that I like to use to make sure you can come up with a better plan of action. And it's called a failure pre-mortem. So the way that it works is you think about the habit, the project, the goal, whatever the most important thing is that you want to work on. And I want you to imagine, fast forward six months from now, and you failed. And then tell the story of why you failed. What happened? What challenges did you encounter? What was it that took you off course? Once you have all that stuff laid out on the table in front of you, you can start to make better choices about how to develop a plan. You can start to have if-then plans. So not only do I want to exercise for 20 minutes on Monday at 5 p.m., but also if I do not exercise because I have to take my kid to practice or whatever, then Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. I will go in. Right? You can have ways to adjust for these challenges. Stage two, wanting. One of the most overlooked drivers of habits and human behavior is our physical environment. And this is an interesting insight about our desires. Your environment often influences them. We want things simply, simply because they are an option, right? Simply because they are in front of us at the time. Thankfully, you don't have to be the victim of your environment. You can also be the architect of it. You can decide to design something to make your good behaviors easier and your bad behaviors harder. So when it comes to habits, if you want to practice your guitar more frequently, put it right in the middle of your living room so you run across it all the time. If you want to read more, when you make your bed in the morning, take the book you want to read, put it on top of the pillow. When you come back that night, pick it up, read a few pages, go to sleep. Many of our desires are simply shaped because we have an environment that shapes us in that way. So the moral of this story is I've never seen someone stick to positive habits in a consistent fashion in a negative environment. Maybe you can overpower it once or twice. Maybe you can have the willpower to do the right thing on one day. But if you're constantly fighting against those forces, it's going to be very hard to follow through. Stage three, doing. The important insight here, especially for habits, is that in the beginning, the most important thing is just to shut up and put your reps in. Just make sure that you hone the skill, right? And you can start to think of it, the way that I like to think of it, is that any outcome that you wish to achieve is just a point along the spectrum of repetitions. So if you have few reps to more reps, and you can imagine an easy goal, a moderate goal, a hard goal. The more reps that you put in, the more, that you, more likely you, you are to achieve that goal. Now, what I like to say is you should optimize for the starting line, not the finish line. Right? So often when we think about habits, goals, routines, achievements, it's all about the milestone. We think about how much weight we want to lose, how much money we want to earn, how many subscribers we want to have. It's all fixed on the finish line. But instead, if you can optimize for the starting line and make it as easy as possible to get started and get your reps in, Often the outcomes just come as a natural result. Agriculture is not just about farming. It's about caring. And that's an ideal worth preserving. It's yummy. It's good for you. And the whole family loves it. It's grain-filled chickens, proudly South African and mouth-wateringly delicious. Discover a world of tasty goodness and visit Grain-Filled Chickens, the Ziri, or like our Facebook page for more. Grain-Filled Chickens, a proud member of VKB. VKB, for the love of the land. I definitely need to get myself a copy of that book. Remember, if you'd like to review a book or perhaps you have a book suggestion, please feel free to email us on info at foodformzanzi.co.za. Now, before we let you go, we now share our farmer tip of the week 
from a livestock auctioneer at Inkosi Denga. He advises farmers to always compare feed prices and do research before physically visiting the supplier. It makes sense to identify suppliers of feed prior to the production year. In that sense, you can tie into agreement, contractual agreements. They might require you to pay an upfront deposit, but it would be worth your while to pay that upfront deposit because you're essentially ensuring a market for the supplier and that is what they usually want. By not securing the supply upfront or the year prior to production, you run the risk of, let's say, there being a drought in a particular area. And now the amount which you budgeted the, the previous year is way out of the market price at the current point because of the supply conditions of the market. So with regards to the feed, I think it makes sense to plan in advance. And then again, not to just approach one supplier is to approach a variety of suppliers, even if it means going out of your local municipality and going even outside the province. It makes sense because you might even find that you might be getting the feed at tonnage way cheaper and you can split it amongst three of your neighbors. So it makes sense at the end of the day when you look at the financial side of it. And our farmer tip of the week from livestock auctioneer Atinkosi Denga brings us to the end of this week's Farmers Inside Track. Proudly brought to you by Food for Mzanzi. For daily inspirational stories about the farmers and agriculturalists who go above and beyond to feed South Africa, visit foodformzanzi.co.za or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or YouTube. That's right, Dawn. And remember also, if you love this podcast, please rate it and share it with your friends, family members and fellow farmers. The Farmers Inside Track is available for free on YouTube Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and of course also on foodformzanzi.co.za But from me, Duncan Masiwa, Don Numdu, Nicole Ludov and our producer Megan van der Fendt and the rest of Team Food from Zanzi have a great week. What joins a continent but its continuous flow over mountains, through rivers in the rhythm of the land? What ignites its future, but the promise to fulfill, to protect and grow, the very life of tomorrow. This is why we do what we do. Under the African blue. Corteva. Keep growing. You've been listening to the Farmers Inside Track podcast, supported by Food Forms Anzi. For more information, find us on www.farmersinsidetrack.co.za.